Section 19 of Unaddressed Letters by Anonymous Edited by Frank Athelstane Swettenham This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nemo A Rejoinder Thank you. Before my last letter could reach you, vous m'avez donné affreusement à penser, and this is what occurs to me. Of all the lover's sorrows, next to that of love by love forbidden, is the voice of friendship turning harsh in love's reproof. And overmuch of counsel, whereby love grows stubborn and recoiling unsuppressed, within devours the heart within the breast. I dare say it as well. I am beginning to recognize the real attractions of what I may call a surprise letter. I have had several lately. It is perhaps the irony of fate that, just after I had mildly hinted to you that the phases of the moods of the feminine mind were sometimes rather bewildering, you should write to me the sort of letter which, had it been sent by me to a man I called my friend, I should richly deserve death at his hands. There are certainly few things more thoroughly enjoyable than to take up a letter that you see comes from, well, let us say from a very dear friend. To dally a little over the opening, in the mingled desire and hesitation to read the contents, feverish desire to know that all is well, to hear some word of affectionate regard, hesitation lest the news be bad the letter cold, and then to find such a missive as you have sent to me. To begin with, there is a page and a half on which you have poured out the vials of your wrath. I was quite hot before I had read half of it, and my ears even were burning before I came to a page in which you told me how greatly you were enjoying yourself. And then at the end, there is another page and a half every word of which seemed to strike me in the face like a blow. I suppose you introduced the middle section that I might meditate on the difference between your circumstances and mine, and duly appreciate the full weight of your displeasure. Well, yes, I have done so, and, as God only knows when I shall see you again, I must write one or two of the many words it is in my heart to say to you. I am a very unworthy person. I have deeply offended you, and you have felt it necessary to tell me gently how ill my conduct looks to you. You leave me to infer that there are offenses which cannot be tolerated, and that it would not be difficult to dispense with my acquaintance. I humbly accept this verdict, and, as it is absolutely just and right, that the prisoner should first be condemned without hearing, and then suffered to state his case, and say anything he pleases in mitigation of sentence, I will try not to weary you by any reference to ancient history, but simply confine myself to the charge. Now, what is my crime? You asked me a question. I am sure you have long ago forgotten what it was and I need not remind you. But I, 
like an idiot, thought you really wanted an answer, and that it was my bounden duty to find a means of sending it. The question gave me infinite pleasure, and again, like an idiot, I thought the answer I longed to send would be welcome. I could not send it in the ordinary way, as you will admit, and a sudden thought striking me that there was a safe and easy means of transmission. I acted on it, and your letter is the result. You tell me your pride is wounded, your trust in my word gone, and your conscience scandalized. It is useless for me now to express regret. I have been convicted, and I am only pleading in mitigation of sentence. Well, mine was a deliberate sin. I had to decide whether I would answer you or not, and though I disliked the means, I thought the end would justify them. To me, they did not then, and do not now, seem very objectionable and it certainly did not occur to me that I could thereby wound the most sensitive feelings. Of course, I was an imbecile, and ought to have realized that a question like that was only a phrase with no serious meaning. I gave a promise, you say, and have broken it. It is a pity. I had rather have sinned in any other way, for I have my pride too, and it asserts itself chiefly in the keeping of promises, rather than the gift of them. As to the conscience, I deeply sympathize. An offended conscience must be a very inconvenient, not to say unpleasant, companion. But you were greatly enjoying yourself. You impressed that upon me, so you will not be offended if I mention it. Therefore, I conclude your conscience was satisfied by the uncompromising expression of your sense of my misdeeds. Might I ask which way your conscience was looking when you wrote this letter to me? Or does it feel no call to speak on my behalf? I would rather my hand were palsied than write such a letter to anyone. And you know that I forfeited your favor in trying to do your will. I think your quarrel was rather with your conscience than with me, but it is well to keep friends with those of one's own household. Truly, it is an evil thing to stake one's happiness upon the value of X in an indeterminate equation. It is possible to regard the unknown quantity with philosophy. It is like the unattainable. The mischief all comes with what looks like solution but proves in the end to be drawn from false premises. Lines can be straight, and figures may be square, but sentient beings are less reliable, and therefore more interesting, as studies. The pity is that we sometimes get too close, in our desire to examine minutely what looks most beautiful and most attractive. Then proximity destroys the powers of critical judgment and, from appearances, we draw conclusions which are utterly unreliable, because our own intelligence is obscured by the interference of our senses. We have to count with quantities that not only have no original fixed value, but vary from day to day, 
and even from hour to hour. You will say that if I can liken you to an algebraic sign, speak of you as a quantity, and an indeterminate equation, it cannot matter much whether you write to me in terms of hate or love. If, however, you consider where you are and where I am, and if, when this lies in your hand, you are on good terms with your pride and your conscience, you may be able to spare, from the abundance you lavish on them, a grain of sympathy for me and my loneliness. Is it a crime for the humble worshipper to seek to assure the deity of his unaltered devotion? It used not to be so. Though the temple has infinite attractions for me, the tavern none. I could say with the Persian, and this I know, whether the one true light, kindled to love, or wrath consume me quite, one flash of it within the tavern caught, better than in the temple lost outright. Life is too short and too full of storm and stress to induce anyone to stake it on approved uncertainty, however attractive. It is better never to take a ship at all than to be constantly meeting disaster on the shoals and rocks of the loveliest summer sea. Of the end of such a venture, there is no uncertainty. The bravest craft that ever left port will be reduced to a few rotting timbers. While the sea smiles anew on what is but a picturesque effect. End of section 19